All right, we're continuing our series that we're calling I Believe in Miracles. This is a fun series. I'm amazed we're all the way into week five with this. Last time we talked about God's armies being revealed, and uh, that was just an amazing picture. And the lesson there is basically that there's a whole lot more going on than what we can see. So when we feel outnumbered, when we feel like everything is against us, we can realize that God has more going on than what we can see. So we can walk by faith when we don't see the power of God. We can trust in the power of God. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24 in order to make sure that we're grounding this in the right way. Because I do think that it's possible when you're talking about the supernatural to kind of go off the rails. It's also possible when you're getting all intellectual and you're thinking a lot to go off the rails. But we want to stay centered. And these verses here are how we're staying centered so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 through 24 says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we know that the power of God and the wisdom of God are good things, but we need to be grounded in Christ crucified, in the love God has for this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is Christ crucified. It's real hard to go off the rails with, there's a God in heaven that loves you, and he's made a sacrifice for you. And his grace is there for you for salvation. All you need to do is put your faith in him. Your sins are forgiven and you can walk with God through this life and into everlasting life. It's really hard to go off the rails with that. And once we're grounded in Christ crucified, then we can step into the wisdom of God without getting into pride and arrogance. And, uh, and we can also step into the supernatural without getting all funny. So that's what we ground ourselves on, Christ crucified, but we also want to grab hold of the power of God. Today, we're going to look at an extremely famous miracle, the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Once upon a time, there was a family that was very close to Jesus. Now, it's fun to try to picture biblical times. It's really interesting to try to put yourself in New Testament experiences and the New Testament world. What would it be like to have seen the Lord Jesus do miracles, to teach, to be there when all of that was happening? You know, this is an interesting time in history, but that was an amazing time in history that has affected the world from then till now uh, and will, of course, till the end, part of God's plan. The major part, I would say, of God's plan for humanity is Christ's death and resurrection. It's the revelation of the redemption of God, the gospel of God. Imagine what it was like to be back then seeing all of that happen and imagine what it would be like to be close friends with Jesus. There were people that were just close friends with Jesus. And there was a particular family. There were two sisters and a brother, and they were close friends with Jesus. And I want to talk about that family and read a few sections of scripture that kind of give us a picture of who these people were. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. And that is going to show us the first picture of who these people are. So here we go. Luke 10, 38 through 42. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Imagine how close Martha and Mary were to Jesus. Jesus stayed at their house. Martha took care of Jesus, made sure all the food, you know, was done and all the arrangements were taken care of. Jesus would teach right there and people would come and listen to him and Mary would sit at his feet and listen. And Jesus was close enough to them that Martha was willing to go to Jesus and complain that Mary wasn't doing the dishes. You know, (laughs) this is how close they were that these types of family squabbles got into the, uh, the conversation with Jesus. I mean, imagine doing that with someone of that stature, you know, bringing them into, Hey, my sister's not helping with me with the dishes. Tell her to help me. You know, that's a close relationship with Jesus. And of course, Jesus makes the important point that uh, we need to prioritize and making sure the dishes are done. That's, that's good. Do the dishes, make a nice, healthy meal, make the bed, all that stuff. That's good. But there's really only one thing that is needed, and that is to trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Martha was doing all this stuff and she was worked She was frazzled by all the things that were going on. I can get caught up in that where I got 85 million things to do and it's more than I can process and I get a little panicked. That's where Martha was and she was thinking, Mary should be helping me. (laughs) I'm all frazzled because she won't help. And uh, Jesus is like, nah, you know what? You can set that stuff aside. You think I can't take care of a meal? And let's just make sure we focus on the one really important thing, which is trusting in Jesus, abiding in the vine, staying connected with the Lord. That's the thing that matters the most. So this is Martha and Mary, the two sisters. And then I want to go to Luke chapter seven, something that happens before what we just read. Luke chapter seven, starting in verse 36. And we have here a situation where there's an unnamed woman that Jesus interacts with. So let's read through this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So he came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed them 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So who is this woman? We see in our culture something that would be wildly inappropriate. Crying on someone's feet, kissing their feet, pouring oil on their feet. Uh, imagine if that, something like that happened at a dinner party. That would be a very bizarre thing. Apparently in this culture, it was still inappropriate, but not as inappropriate. You know, Jesus did wash the feet of his disciples, foot washing, and that sort of thing was something that happened in that culture. But this woman basically is shown as a sinful woman and the Pharisee here, whose name is Simon, it was something that he was thinking, okay, Jesus must not be a good guy if he's letting her touch his feet, you know? And then Jesus defends this woman, talks about how she's been forgiven much. And so she loves much. And then says to her that she can go, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So who is this woman? Well, it will be shown when we go to John chapter 11 and we start talking about the situation with Lazarus. So here we go. John chapter 11, starting in verse one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So we see that the one who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, poured perfume on Jesus' feet, is Mary. The Mary who is the sister of Martha. Martha who was worried that Mary wasn't doing enough of the housework, but he, she was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him speak. That's the Mary. And they also have a brother whose name is Lazarus and Lazarus is sick. So Jesus, the great miracle worker, is now summoned by Martha and Mary. They're like, well, this is Jesus. He stays at our house. We're close friends. You know, he loves us. And so he's going to come and take care of us. Lazarus is sick. They send word, Jesus, come help us. The one you love is sick. And so they send word to Jesus, this close family who knows Jesus sends for him because their brother is gravely ill. Now, if you had been saved under Jesus' earthly ministry, you housed and fed Jesus, you'd seen his miraculous powers, listened to him teach, been personally defended by Jesus himself, twice Mary was, how confident would you be that Jesus would take care of an illness? He was doing that all the time. They would have been very confident, but it didn't go so smooth. Let's keep reading the situation. Verse four. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he, was, he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is not exactly a timely response to Mary and Martha's request. Jesus stays where he's at a few days. Why is that? It's because there's more going on than just Lazarus being sick. The place where Lazarus lives, where Martha and Mary live, is in the area where people are trying to kill Jesus. The disciples here are clearly convinced that if they go back to that area, that they're going to die. Thomas, who is sometimes referred to as Doubting Thomas, somebody I relate to that I think actually got a bad rap because of the one situation. But here, Thomas says, okay, well, if he's going back to Judea to his death, let's go with him so we can die with him. You know, uh, he was courageous and willing to understand the situation and face whatever consequences there were. So they held back, but they held back for a reason because of the dangers that were there. And so they, they didn't go right away. Then Jesus, after he waited a few days and he realized that Lazarus was dead, he's like, okay, we, we'd better go. Then they go. So this is the perspective of the disciples, that there's danger, that it's, it's not safe. So they, they wait and they have to then go after a little bit of time. What was it like from Mary and Martha's perspective? You know, they didn't know anything about, oh, they want to kill Jesus and all this stuff. You know, they, I'm sure they knew some stuff about it, but they didn't care. They were like, our brother is sick. You got to come and help us. They weren't worried about any of the other things. So what did it look like from Martha and Mary's perspective? Let's look at Martha first. John eleven seventeen. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So Martha and Mary heard that Jesus had arrived. He was still, you know, he didn't come into the house. He was out a little ways. Martha goes to meet Jesus. Mary refuses. Mary stays home. So Martha goes and talks to him. How did that go? 21 through 28. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Martha expresses her disappointment in Jesus. If you had been here, our brother would not have died, but it's tempered with faith. She also says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then they have a bit of a theological discussion. This makes sense for the pragmatic Martha. She's somebody who has a bigger picture perspective and she's thinking about eternity and the resurrection on the last day and all these different things. And so she's got a a broader perspective, but she's also very disappointed in Jesus. If you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she's hurt but it's tempered with faith and a bigger perspective. What about with Mary? Jesus, you know, apparently says to Martha, hey, where's where's Mary? Why don't you go get Mary? So we picked that up. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So Jesus sends for Mary. Martha gives Mary the message. And then Mary gets up quickly in a very noticeable way and goes out. So she doesn't just, you know, get up and walk out. She gets up in a way that that everybody notices. It's it's an emotional reaction. She kind of jumps up and I would say maybe even storms out. And people are like, oh, wow, she's... She's got to be going back to her brother's tomb because she's overwhelmed right now. But she's not going to her brother's tomb. She's going to go see her former hero, the one she used to wet his feet with her tears, the one she used to sit at the feet of and listen to speak with starry eyes and think, wow, he's amazing. She's going to go see her former hero. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Mary comes She makes the one statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She collapses on the ground, weeping. She says the same thing that Martha said, except she doesn't follow it up with a statement of faith. She just leaves it at, you failed me in my great time of need. I trusted you. I knew you were going to come and rescue us, but you failed. Who are you? And she crumbles to the ground, weeping. Mary is having a faith crisis. Remember who she is. She's the sinful woman who was forgiven much. She poured oil on Jesus' feet. She wept and wiped his feet with her hair. She sat at his feet. She thought he was wonderful. She's having a huge faith crisis right now. Why is Jesus weeping? Is he weeping over Lazarus? Not at all. As we read earlier, Jesus said, hey, Lazarus is asleep. You know, he's dead, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. 
Jesus is not mourning over, he's not weeping over Lazarus. He's weeping over Mary and the faith crisis that she is having. What isn't Jesus doing? He's not saying, what? You giving up on me so quick? You know, he's not mad at her. He's not upset with her. His compassion overflows to her and he sees her and she is weeping and he weeps with her. She's having a faith crisis The compassion of Jesus is there. He's empathizing with her. He understands what she's going through. There's no condemnation. There's no correction. He just weeps along her side. And then this continues with the rest of the group. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. So Jesus is deeply moved as people are talking about, this is Jesus. Couldn't he have taken care of this? Other people are also having a faith crisis. Jesus is moved by the shaking of the faith of these people. And he's moved to compassion because their faith has been shaken. He's not moved to anger. He's not blaming them. He's moved because his heart goes out to those who are having a faith crisis. So it's time for Jesus to make this right. Let's continue. Verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. He addresses the faith crisis by bringing Lazarus from the dead out of the tomb and people then believe. He prayed a prayer for the benefit of those there that they would know that his father had sent him, that he would be able to fix the faith crisis that was going on. This is a powerful, powerful story. It's not just look at the fancy thing Jesus did so you can trust in him. There's, there's these storylines going on with these individuals and, and the hurt that they're experiencing. So what are some lessons that we can learn? First lesson is this. Jesus' compassion for the hurting, even those who are having a faith crisis and doubting him, is profound. Jesus' compassion for the hurting, even those who are having a faith crisis, his compassion for them is profound. And I want you to believe that for you personally. If you're going through a hardship, if you're going through a faith crisis, a belief crisis, the compassion of Jesus for you is profound. He's not angry at you for uh, having a natural reaction to the difficulties and the traumas that you've experienced. He's not angry at you for that. He hurts with you. Jesus weeps with you like he did with Mary. Don't run away from him. The devil's scheme is to get us to run from God, to separate us from God, 
because we experience hardships and difficulty. This is the lesson of the book of Job. So many people misunderstand the book of Job. Let me just give you the three main lessons of the book of Job. You know, Job was, he was a good guy, you know, serving the Lord best he knew how, was doing very well. And then uh, the devil wrecked everything and he was hurting and hurting and hurting and hurting for a long time. And then God restores him. And in fact, he gets a double portion. So amazing stuff. What's the lesson from the book of Job? Lesson number one is that God is good and the devil is bad. It's not that you just never know when God's going to ruin your life. The lesson is God is good and the devil is bad. Very important to understand that the devil hurt Job and his family. God restored Job and gave him a new family. God is good. The devil is bad. Lesson number two from Job is even if you are innocent, Satan can gain access to your life. The whole point was that Job was a super good guy. He wasn't the son of God. He wasn't the Messiah. He didn't live a sinless life like Jesus, but he was like the best one that there was. And even for him, Satan gained access to his life. So we need to learn how to fight the spiritual battle. And then number three, when you're going through hardships, don't insult the character of God. Those, I believe, are the three main lessons of the book of Job. God is good. The devil is bad. Even if you are innocent, Satan can gain access to your life. And when you're going through hardships, don't insult the character of God. Jesus, in this situation, as Mary is saying, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she just weeps because her heart is broken because her former hero had failed her. Jesus' heart goes out to her and he defends Mary. I believe he defends Mary for a third time because he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't question, hey, what you've seen what I've done. Don't you trust me? He didn't do any of that. He just wept with her. And then he goes to the tomb and solves the problem. So I believe he's defending her in the midst of her hurt and her faith crisis for this third time. You know, he defended her when she was wiping his feet with her hair. He defended her when Martha was saying she needs to do more housework and Jesus is defending her here. If you are hurting, if you are broken, if you're having a faith crisis, Jesus will come and defend you. He's not going to reject you. Open your heart to him. Lesson number two, there's more going on than what we can see. We had that lesson last week with the Lord's armies revealed, but this time let's look at it from the idea of let's not be self-centered. Martha and Mary had a brother who was sick, gravely ill, who died. That's a big thing. But Also, there was a situation where a bunch of people wanted to kill Jesus. So he was going to come there. And we see, uh, if you keep reading, you'll see that the powers that be were emboldened even more to try to kill Jesus. And they wanted to kill Lazarus because they're like, ah, everywhere Lazarus goes, people trust Jesus. Let's kill Lazarus. Let's kill Jesus. It emboldened them even more. But from a a self-centered perspective, you know, I've always wondered what happens when both teams pray to win the game. They both don't get to win, you know, and it isn't a faith battle. Well, we believe more than you did. So we win, you lose. What happens when both teams pray to win the game? Well, they're praying from a very small perspective and, you know, from a self-centered perspective. Instead, let's go for a holistic, even nuanced view of reality as we pray. So don't just pray to win the game. Pray to do your best. Pray to represent the Lord effectively. Pray that the kingdom of God would advance through the interactions that you have in life and that, that you would gain the victory and become the most that you could be. And then pray that blessing over others as well. You don't just pray to win the game. 
have a holistic, nuanced view of reality. The bummer about being self-centered, you know, if you're the center of your universe, then you're the only one who lives in that universe because nobody else sees you as the center of the universe. And it's going to be a very lonely, very disappointing place. Come be part of the great reality of the kingdom of God. Put yourself in a humble position and put others above yourself. And then you'll get to be part of this massive reality. It's beautiful. So let's go for that holistic, nuanced view of reality. Lesson number one, Jesus' compassion for the hurting, even those who are having a faith crisis is profound. Lesson number two, there's more going on than what we can see. So let's not be self-centered. Let's, uh, let's realize that God is doing all kinds of different things at the same time. And then the third lesson is this. The end result for the believer is always victory in Jesus. The end result for the believer is victory. Jesus knew this wasn't the end of the story for Lazarus. And this life is never the end of the story for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. We have everlasting life. He has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us, and he will bring us to be where he is, and he is the way. So we can have the victory in Jesus no matter what happens in this life. And something really interesting in Hebrews chapter 11 is that that great faith chapter, all the examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But I want to read just a section of Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. Look for the two categories. There's the people who get the great victory, and there's those who stand by faith to the bitter end. Here we go. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were living the life of Mary, whose brother died, and they're like, well, where's God? But they were commended for their faith because they believed to the bitter end. There's the victory where you see Lazarus come out of the tomb. And there's the victory where in the midst of the trial, the struggle, the hardships, you believe and you trust God to the bitter end. Those are both commendable faith. So grab hold of that. We're going to close here. Maybe you're in a faith crisis like Mary there in John chapter 11. Things didn't turn out how you wanted. You feel like God let you down. And then something broke inside of you. And now you don't know if you can trust God. You don't know what to do. Maybe that's you. I want to just finish by reading Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hugely significant section here. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Jesus went to the cross. He knows what it is to experience hardship. And his heart breaks for you when you're in the midst of a faith crisis. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't reject you. He weeps with you. And he wants to bring you back in and bring healing and deliverance and salvation to your life. I know it's hard, but I want you to open your heart to Jesus. And if you've never done that, now is a great time to do it too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I pray for those who are broken and hurting right now, who like Mary, things didn't turn out how they wanted. Like those we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, destitute, persecuted, sawn in two, all these horrible things happened to them and they didn't see the promises in this life, but Lord, they trusted you to the end. Lord, for those who are going through those sufferings and that is hurting their relationship with you, Lord, I pray they would not fall into the temptation of the devil to run away from you in hardships and pain but that they, as hard as it is, they would open their hearts to you and receive you in. So Lord, we open our hearts to you and we ask you to come into our heart and to fill us with your spirit, bring forgiveness and restoration and new life that we may walk with you and serve you and have everlasting life. So Lord, bless us in this way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.